Okay, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, we'll begin our meditation on the Word of God. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Our focus tonight will be on verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Since the reading of the Lord's word for now, let us go to him in prayer. O Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for giving us this word. We pray that we may understand it and may understand it rightly and live according to it. For here, O Lord, are good things that you have given us. They are a gift from you to us that we might not wander around in darkness, but might have the light of your word to guide our steps. And so, O Lord, we ask that you would hold our hands as we walk, that we may not fall and we may know that we have a shepherd who cares for his sheep. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is verse 10. We will use this occasion also to do a little summary of the passage, uh, which is chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this is a complete unit. It uh, actually is all one uh, unity in the original. It's quite striking how it, uh, how it flows, and we've talked about that already in the past, so I won't rehearse all that. But there's uh, something in verses 8 through 9 in particular that uh, I'd like to bring to your attention to rem- remind you of what we saw last week, and that is, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, And then we saw that this word for this, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God, not the result of works. And the answer of what does this uh, relate to is it relates to everything that had gone before in the previous part of that verse. So in verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, this is what's not your own doing the gracious salvation through faith. This is a working of God. It is quite interesting that this is not new. Uh, Augustine, for example, who uh, lived from 354, uh, you know, just if you want to generalize that, from around 350 to 430 AD, Augustine writes this, God therefore chose believers but in order that they might be believers, not because they already were. Faith, then, both in its beginning and in its completeness, is a gift from God. So faith itself is a gift from God, so that we would not have anything to boast about. Even that is his gift. Uh, This has been recognized by people who read this text for uh, most of church history. We will talk about that in a moment, where people do not read it that way. We will, we will address that. 
Let me, uh, at the beginning, just mention a couple of things on the translation we're dealing with on verse 10. Looking now particularly at verse 10, a couple of things of note. Uh, The first one is uh, just a matter of emphasis in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. There's actually stress here on his. Uh, It it is uh, brought forward and it's uh, an area of focus. His workmanship are we. It sounds like that. His workmanship are we. Uh, And this is not new. We've actually also seen that earlier in um, verse 8 at the end. It is the gift of God. In that that one, it says, of God is the gift. Uh, Likewise, also a little unusual word order to put stress on God. And so in this context and in verse 10, the focus is on God. And everything comes from him. It's his working. We are, it's a gift from him. And we are his workmanship. Uh, so this is, this is uh, just a matter of focus and uh, bringing that out. Secondly, uh, this word workmanship, I, I like that word a lot. It, uh, it kind of rolls off the tongue well. And it's a, it's a catchy word. It, it's, not a, it's not a modern word. Uh, interesting that it's used in many translations today because it's traditional. Um, but it's a, a word that I like, but I think it's better to use the word creation here. It's actually not a common term in the New Testament. In fact, it's found only one other place, and that's in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it means creation. It's We are the creation of God. In Romans 1, 20, God's attributes are seen in his creation. And it, it communicates, and this is what workmanship communicates too, so I'm just you know explaining the meaning here. And that is that it is the product of his working. This is what we mean by creation or workmanship, if you prefer, with a product. We are, we are the outcome of his working. And I want you to see that that's, that's what Paul is really stressing here. We are his workmanship. Uh, we are like the uh, block of marble that he is the sculptor, and he has produced a beautiful sculpture. And it, you know, the sculpture is his workmanship, and he's the one who's produced it. It didn't happen by accident. You don't put a block of stone out in the waves and hope that the waves, through erosion, will uh, somehow produce some beautiful sculpture. It will just make a smaller rock. I mean, that's just basically what happens. It might, be, might have some interesting features, but uh, it's not going to be the same as a sculptor working. And here you see it is we are, the, we are his creation. Uh, and it flows well because the next word, notice, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus. So it's this, you know, it's this flow of, we're his creation. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, we're going to come back to that. But I want you to think about that. And your, your first thought should be, well, yeah. <laughs> we're creatures. Hello. This is, Paul, why are you telling us this? Uh, and that's where it gets, starts gets interesting when you answer that question here. 
So we will, we will come back to that. Um, a third point to make uh, is in the end, when it says for good works that we should walk in them, you really want to read that as that we might start to walk in them. This is a perfectly legitimate way to take that uh, word there. This is a well-known possibility, and I think it's the best one. Uh, because in chapter 2, at the very beginning, you'll recall we were walking in sins and transgression in the course of the world. So it, our text opens at the beginning with, and you who are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now that word just means walking, and it's a process. But now notice at the end of the passage, just like the beginning, there's a reference. We used to walk like that, but now we start walking in newness of life. Now, I just imported for you, by the way, a text from Romans 6, where Paul says the same thing, that we may start to walk in newness of life. We've been raised with Christ uh, in our baptism. That's in Romans 6, verse 4. So it's the same. You want to render it the same way. We may start to walk in these things. So this, is, this flows right out of being part of God's creation. It's a working of God changing us so it may start walking in good works. Uh, and this is something now that's new to us. It is a development out of our former life. So we no longer are those people from the past. Yes, I know there's continuity, but those things have done away in their significance. Uh, God has overlooked those things in us and so transformed us through his working in Christ Jesus, that we're now part of a new creation so that the former things are passing away. And that life that we formerly lived in sin and transgression, that's gone in a sense. God has put those things behind us and re remade us so that we may start walking in a new conduct of life. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, it's this, these good works in verse 10, which God prepared beforehand. And I would just like to point out the obvious, that's redundant, right? Which God prepared beforehand. If you prepare something, it's beforehand. <laughs> it's just, so he could have simply said, which God prepared, uh, because it would be beforehand. Uh, but, you know, Paul expresses it, God prepared beforehand, because he wants you to understand this was prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. This is not something ad hoc. It's not something God just came up with on a whim. God is a God of uh, his own counsel, and he acts according to his will and counsel, so these are things that he has prepared beforehand from all creation. Uh, and that goes right back now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Let me read from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now notice how that connects with He prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that we might walk, we may start to walk in new, uh, a newness of life that produces good works. This is something that He is prepared for. So brothers and sisters, you're, you're, not, so, you're not some sort of experiment. You are something that He has crafted and he has planned, and now he is executed in Christ Jesus. And we are part of that. We're part of a period in history where God has done something new. Uh, I know it's been going on for 2,000 years, but the newness has not worn off. It is a remarkable uh, working of God, which will never lose its luster. And as we saw in verse 7, uh, God in the coming ages might show the immeasurable riches of what he's done in us. We are his trophies of his working of grace and kindness. And then finally, all of this is in Christ Jesus. And then notice that Christ Jesus is right there in the center. He is the mediator through whom all of this uh, transpires. And you can never divorce anything that takes place in us from Christ Jesus. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has raised us from the dead together with Christ and seated us on the high heavenlies together with Christ. It, what happens to him happens to us. Uh, this is the remarkable thing about what God has done in him because he's the beginning of a new creation and you are that new creation. This is what he has worked in Christ Jesus. So this is actually now part of the secret of the kingdom of God and of Christ, Ephesians 5, verse 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a part of a new creation. The old things have passed away and new things have come, come about. This is, this is our hope. Uh, that what has happened in us doesn't originate from us. It's a working of God, and it's a work that will have an infallible, definite, certain completion in our resurrection and entrance into glory. This is, this is what we hope for. Let me read to you two sections of the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, because it relates to this issue. So these are two sections, and I want you to see the difference. It's just in, in one place, it's just really one word where there's a difference, and it's a critical word. So the first is uh, Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism 33. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, holy for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So first word there in particular is act. Now you go two uh, questions down to 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. Now, 
The two words here are act and work. An act of God's free grace is a single thing that he does. Justification is a single thing, and it has been done. And in Christ Jesus, it is over with. So you are justified, you who believe in Christ. And your justification, there's no future to it. It's a truth that is true of you from now until all eternity. You are a justified person. And there's no change in the future for that to take place. What is different in the sanctification, it's a, a work of God. And the people composing this use that word advisedly because a work in, uh, involves a process. And notice how they bring out this process. We are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. That's the process. It's a work of God's free grace. But notice how it's a work of God's free grace. Notice how they get that. They get it in part from this verse 10, Ephesians 2.10. We are his, the product of his working. We are, we are, we are his workmanship. <laughs> we are his creation. Uh, he's working in us in these good works that we may start walking in them. So notice how he is involved in all this. This is why you can't get discouraged at the meagerness of your sanctification, which will always happen to the most holy of saints. <laughs> the holier you are, the more you're going to be dissatisfied with yourself. And I, perfectly right. Uh, you know, I'm not chiding you. This is, this is perfectly right. I wouldn't know, but I'm sure holy people will tell you that. And here's why. It's because, you know, you can never be satisfied with this life. That's, that's what he puts in our heart, not to be satisfied with this life. We want to be, we want to be like him, and we want to praise the Lord in such a way and live in a way pleasing to him in such a way that there would never be any struggle with sin anymore. Well, that is our destiny. And you know, he's implanted that in our hearts. Our destiny is hidden by him in our hearts so that we might more and more die to sin and live to righteousness. This is part of that process. And these are good works that he has prepared ahead of time. He has a plan for you. He has, as the great shepherd, he has laid out for you a life. Your life is never meaningless as a Christian. Never. It can't be meaningless. Because God is the one who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he, he gives you meaning and purpose despite what happens with you. It's always a good thing uh, to be led by him and we are his workmanship for these good works. So this is our new, our new uh, life and our hope. And you can see how all of this is of grace. This is, this is why verse 10 flows out of verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved. This is from God. It's by grace, and it's a gift of God. Uh, because this new walk in good works 
is what He's prepared for us, and He gives us that. It's part of this package. And notice how good works are not optional. You can't say, well, you know, I'm saved. I don't really have to think about good works. Notice how that's how, uh, how wrong-headed and in the worst examples is uh, an act of unbelief and evil. This is almost like what Paul says in Romans 6.1. Should we respond to the gospel by saying, well, let me just sin more that God's grace might increase more? And, and Paul says, may that never be. Likewise, here, you know, may it never be that we would ignore the good works. It's part of what God has prepared ahead of time for us. And so we, we strive to please our Father uh, in the good works he's laid out for us. We do things, but, you know, we do them in our freedom. We do them to please the Lord, not to earn his favor. He's given us his favor by grace. And this is a gift from him. We have his favor. That's why we respond in good works. Now, I'd like to pause in, in uh, this uh, section by mentioning something that uh, it's almost a personal issue, so forgive me. Uh, as you know, I wrote a commentary on Ephesians and early in the process, one of the editors of the series, who didn't last, by the way, like got fired or something, uh, but he insisted that I deal with a view uh, on God's election, which uh, is called corporate election. And it's an Arminian view. So we in this church are Calvinists, or Augustinian is what I prefer. And this was uh, supposedly a very strong argument against our position. And you know this does uh, take place out there. So I had to deal with this. Let me tell you what, uh, in particular, this corporate election says. So this is one author who's a pastor in New Hampshire and also does a little teaching and he's, uh, his work is promoted by the Society of Evangelical Armenians, which I'd never heard of, but I found that out on the internet. So here's what he says in his book, arguing against our position on what you just heard. Most simply, corporate election refers to the choice of a group, which entails the choice of its individual members by virtue of their membership in the group. Thus, individuals are not elected as individuals directly, but secondarily as members of the elect group. Individuals are elect as a consequence of their membership in the group. On both the individual and the corporate level, election is contingent on faith in Christ. Contingent is just another word for dependent upon. So what he had just told you is, God chooses you as long as you are in the church and believe in Christ. But if you were to happen not to believe in Christ anymore and stop going to church, you would not be chosen by God. 
Because this is all dependent upon your membership in the group. Because God doesn't choose individuals. He's chosen the church, the group. This is why it's called corporate election. And I'm getting some frowns, and believe me, I frown too when I read this. And you know, what's interesting is this is actually comes from an argument from Ephesians 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him. And this, art, this author says, well, look, it says he chose us. This is the group. He chose this group, not individuals, but this group. Uh, he has a lot of other things to say, but this is the gist of his argument. Now, I know it's late in the day, and you're, you're looking at me and wonder why I would bring this up. I'm bringing it up for two reasons. One is to just tell you that there are people out there who would steal your confidence in the Lord. Because that's, that, that's what that position does in the end of the day. It, it's left to you to persevere in the faith. It, it really is up to you to make sure you were elect by staying in the group and by making sure you believe. So here's how I responded. I didn't go to Ephesians 1.4 I went to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. <laughs> because here's what, he, here's what you have to believe to hold to his position. That the dead believe. Because people who are dead in their trespasses and sins cannot believe. It's not a matter of they, won't, they don't believe, they just can't believe. They're dead in trespasses and sin. And they are by nature children of wrath not by nature open to believing and trusting in the Lord. Furthermore, groups don't believe. They don't have an independent existence. We're talking about individuals. Furthermore, even faith is a gift. That's what we saw in verse 8. It's, it's a gift from God. This is from him. Uh, interesting in and I'm adding this to my argument against this position, we're already God's creation, right? But notice how it's put here in verse 10. We are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. I, to I told you we'd come back to this, and here it is. You are created in Christ Jesus. You're created in Christ Jesus. See, that's, that's why you believe. It's because you're a new creation, created in Christ Jesus, that you might believe and hope and walk in newness of life. It's a work of God recreating you. you you're dead. You need to be recreated. This is why that's so vital in what he's saying here. And this author gets it exactly backwards. It's true that salvation is contingent on faith, dependent upon faith. It's true, but not election. Election is not contingent on faith. Faith is contingent on election. 
You believe because God has chosen you from before the foundation of the world and he's worked a new creation in you so that you can respond in faith. This is a gift from God. So I and many other people just are not persuaded by that argument of corporate election. And I bring it up to you just so you know that these are things we have to fight against. Uh, and people do uh, interact with this. I don't like to deal with, you know, people, I don't like to deal with controversial issues, but this is one where the gospel is at the center. I will, I will fight for the gospel every day. That's what we do. Let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14, where we have a supporting text. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. It's very interesting. He has the same thing there as earlier. It's a different word, but it's the same effect, the same neuter thing. To this thing he has called you. In, in the original it says, to which thing? Unto which thing he has called you? What thing? Well, God choosing you that your first fruits to be saved through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, this is what he's called you to. And notice, belief in the truth. Even that's what he's called you to. This is, this is the effect of his calling. Now, let me read to you from another church, his, another church uh, father, in this case, Jerome. He's a little bit earlier than Augustine. Interestingly, though, he's an Augustinian. Or maybe Augustine is a Jeromean. Commenting on our passage. He says, therefore, that he will show the abundant riches of his grace and kindness in the ages to come because you have been saved by grace by means of faith, not by means of works. And this faith itself is not from yourselves, but is from him who has called you. Now, so that the secret thought, quote, if we have not been saved by means of our works, perhaps we've been saved by means of faith. And it is in another manner that we are saved of ourselves, so that this won't sneak into our thinking by chance in reference to this. He thus goes on and says that faith itself is also not of our will, but is a gift of God. It is not that human free will is removed in accordance with what the apostle says to the Romans. It is not of him who runs or of him who wills, but of God who shows mercy. The very, found, the very freedom of the will has God as its author, and all things are referred to his benefaction, since it is he himself who permits us even to will the good. But all this has been said so that no one may glory as if he has been saved by himself and not by God. There's just so much richness in what Jerome understood there, and he's writing around 400 AD. This is not you know, modern guy arguing against corporate election, but it could be. It's just the same stuff. 
Brothers and sisters, we are elected and called by our Lord to be holy and blameless before him. This, let me point out, to, uh, and I'm closing now, let me, let me point out in closing. There's no exhortation in our passage. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, there's no exhortation. He doesn't turn to you and say, you better do good works. It's a statement of fact. These are facts of the gospel. He's going to give us exhortation, okay? In chapters 4 and 5 and 6, we're going to get exhortations. You don't have to wait long. Well, you might because I'm so slow in preaching Ephesians, but that's, you don't have to wait long if you're reading this, okay? But there's no exhortation here. So notice this. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, and that we should walk in them. There's no, therefore you better do this. There's no exhortation here. Because exhortations flow from the truth about us. And God has done these things in us. It's God who is at work in us. For he works good things in us for his glory that we may start walking in newness of life. But we trust in him. He who has begun a good thing in you will bring it to completion because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O Lord our God. Our service this evening began with prayer. Appropriately, we end with prayer now. Uh, thanks to you, our great God, for working in us that which is good and pleasing in your sight, that we may ho be holy and blameless before you. Grant, O oh Lord, we may do that. Our life's desire may be to please you with our lives. But until then, O oh Lord, we have these great truths that we're so grateful for. These truths are precious in our sight. Protect them, O oh Lord, uh, among us, that we may always hold fast to the truth of the gospel, and delight in the riches found in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.